morning, everyone. Um, uh, we're going to finish the, uh, the story of uh, Noah's Ark uh, today, and then from next week, uh, we'll be talking about the Advent season. Um, well, so speaking of the, uh, the Noah's Ark, every once in a while, uh, people ask me about dinosaurs. Oh, what happened to that? You know, there is no mention of dinos, dinosaurs in the Bible. Um, you know, even though we see the fossil records and all those things. And so we have uh, a, a theory that I want to show you. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I'm not advocating that that's what happened. Uh, with the, uh, the dinosaurs. Um, but anyways, um, <clears throat> the flood is, uh, the, the title of my message is Noah's Ark and the Gospel. Uh, you know, the flood is referenced in several places uh, in the Bible. Jesus himself spoke of Noah and the flood in Matthew chapter 27, uh, 24, verses 37 through 39. Isaiah talks about that. Uh, Hebrews, Peter mentioned it. It was a historical event, and uh, it's not one of those like inspired by true story kind of thing, or it's not a based on a true story kind of thing. It was a historical event. Archaeologists tell us that many ancient civilizations have a flood tradition similar to the Genesis account. It's not just in Genesis that we uh, that we hear about the story of flood, but even other like spread all over the place that there is a uh, flood account pretty similar to the Genesis account. So what does it tell us? It points to the fact that the flood did take place, and most likely these other stories were corruptions of the original history of the flood handed from generation to generation. Because it was an oral tradition. It was not something that was written down. So it must have been, as people were talking throughout in different civilizations of the actual event, that it got somehow corrupted. Um, but there is a story of flood all over the world. A casual observation of this well-known story of Noah's Ark leads us to think that it's just another fascinating, uh, fascinating story in the Bible, and because of its massive scale, and hearing about it as a story when we were growing up, it may seem like a, somehow a fiction. Right? This is—can you imagine the whole earth filled with water? And you know, there's a plenty of cultural references to this too. So when movies like *Evan Almighty* or even the movie uh, Noah, right, uh, featuring Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, Emma Watson, and you know, those kind of movies come out, when we watch those things, our reaction is usually, oh, well, you know, that's not really true, that's not how it happened, and we f- tend to focus on the details, and then we say to ourselves, as Christians, at least I know the real story of Noah's Ark. But do we? Do we really know what this story is about? You know, if your understanding of Noah's Ark is simply noticing what details are different in the secular version of the story, and that's the only thing that you know about, and that's the only thing that you notice about Noah's Ark, then I would say that you are actually missing the point 
of this story. Or you don't really know the meaning of the story as we all should. There's more to this story of Noah's Ark than meets the eyes. It's more than knowing the size of the ark, because, you know, when you actually, as you just read, you could actually see, I mean, we didn't get to read, like, chapter 7, but there's actual, like, dimension of the ark. And so, it's just more than just knowing the size of the, the ark or all the animals that are in it, the duration of the flood, and all these other details that we may kind of tend to focus on. Or even the fact that, you know, the peace uh, symbol uh, that we, we see, yeah, you know, the, the dove with the olive branch, it actually originated from this story, right? You guys know that? Um, we didn't get to read it in, uh, but in chapter 7 and chapter 8, after the flood stopped, because Noah was still trapped, because Noah was still in, in, the, in the ark, didn't know whether there was actually dry ground, so he had to just you know, send out the dove, and then see what would happen. And then in one of those days, uh, the dove went out and then he came back. The, the dove came back with the olive branch, right? And so that's where this whole thing started about the peace symbol. So sometimes we tend to think about and focus on those like details of the story. And we think that that's what this Noah story is about. But there is a greater significance to this story. I, I think I, I, I have said this before, and I'm going to say it again. We often read these stories in Genesis as isolated and unrelated stories from one another. When we read the creation account, we kind of read it on its own. God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, you know we, we think about that. And then we come, it goes to the story of Adam and Eve and the fall. And then we kind of just read it on its own. Cain and Abel, as we read and as we looked at, we also read it, read that also on its own. But you know, if you even just think about it, uh, Cain and Abel, especially uh, in the case of Abel, it really points to Jesus Christ being the greater, uh, greater um, Abel, because Abel sacrificed the firstborn to God because he knew. And he loved God, right? Loved the, uh, uh, whereas Jesus, being the greater Abel, sacrificed himself because he truly knew and loved the Father. So it really points to, uh, it really points to Christ. And Abel's righteousness convicted Cain's unrighteousness, as Pastor Jay talked about. But Jesus' righteousness convicted not just one man, but the whole world of its unrighteousness. And that really is the real point of the story of Cain and Abel. So when we come to another story like Noah's Ark, we just tend to kind of see it as just another story that we we read. Just another story with different characters. But that's not how we are to read Genesis or the scripture for that matter, there is this one common thread that weaves in and out of the stories in Genesis and all of Scripture. Do you see a story of redemption? Do you see a story of grace? I do when I read stories in Genesis. Before I understood the gospel, 
I just read all these stories as fascinating stories that it's just so far removed from me. So it's just like, you know, it happened so, such a long time ago that's, oh, it's kind of fascinating. And growing up in the church, hearing all these stories of Noah's art, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, David, Abraham, Joseph, what have you. I didn't really see any connection. It was just all these scattered stories that just kind of made up pretty cool stories. But now, now that I understand the gospel, I see that there is this common theme. There is a story of redemption. There is a story of grace. What I see now is the faithful God rescuing the faithless people time and again. By His grace, God graciously saves the undeserving sinners. And it is the essence of the gospel. I believe that's what we need to see in Genesis and all of Scripture, not as these scattered, unrelated, isolated stories that we tell each other. Noah's Ark is not this uh, one-off story, fascinating bedtime story, that we would tell our kids or to our Sunday school kids. It has the gospel implication and it points us to Christ. So let's dive into this. The first point, I've got two points, and the first point is the gospel implication. Yeah, I talked about the gospel, right? So then what implicate, what gospel implication does this have? So Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 14, Tell us the purpose of the flood and the ark. Right? So let's just read it there. So verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. So it tells us the reason why and the purpose why the flood was sent is because of the wickedness and the corruption of people. The earth was filled with violence and God sent the deluge to destroy humankind. So what does it really tell us? It tells us that there must always be judgment for sin and death before there can be a new beginning. There must be death to the old before God establishes the new. And that's how God works. That's how God operates in this world. That there has to be death to the old so that God can establish the new. And it's the part that we don't want to hear, right? It's the part that we don't want to talk about. I mean, who wants to hear about judgment? Who wants to talk about death? Who wants, who wants to talk about destruction? But if we want to be faithful to the word of God and the gospel, then we have to know this first. 
Non-Christians are turned off by this truth all the time. Right? What kind of God is he? How could he like basically destroy all men, all humankind that he created? What kind of God is that? I don't want that kind of God in my life. I kind of want this Santa Claus kind of God. Right? Somebody who is being nice to me, giving me things that I really want, giving, giving me good things. Yeah, I can believe in that kind of God, God of love, but the God who destroys, God brings destruction, death, God who judges, I don't want that kind of God. And so many people are really turned off by this. But the reason why that is so wrong is because that really undermines the message of the gospel. The reason why the prosperity gospel is so problematic is because they don't really talk about sin or judgment. Whoever ignores or takes a pass on this does not really know the gospel. Good news cannot truly be good news if there is no bad news to address. If there is no bad news to overcome and to triumph over, then it is not really a good news. If there is no sin to be saved from, what, what is, what good is that? What is then Jesus? Right. So the question is, you know, is there really sin in your life, in my life? When there is sin, there must be God's judgment. You know, we just had a Thanksgiving week. And guess what? For me, boy, I was complaining like crazy. I mean, I was complaining. Thanksgiving week didn't matter. My, the in-laws were here, and then I was just doing some things, and I got really, like, uh, whiny, and um, and um, I, would, I just was not loving on people. I was very judgmental the whole week. My, when, I, when I'm really honest with myself, my, this, this past week, boy, it was filled with sin. Right? And he will not turn a blind eye. I need salvation from my sin. We need salvation from our sins. And the scripture tells us the salvation does not come from ourselves. Being good, our good works, just simply cannot cut it. It's not good enough. Whatever the good works that we think that we are doing to other people, it's just simply not good enough. Still, not acceptable to God. Because of corruption and violence, God decides to judge the world by sending the flood. You know, I've seen uh, some of those uh, video footages of a uh, tsunami um, or the hurricane, and it's it's devastating, right? Some of the, uh, I know back in uh, 2004, 2005, there was like this massive uh, uh, uh you know, tsunami, and it totally flattened, like, the bunch of regions uh, in Indonesia, Thailand, and all these places. And even pretty recently, we had, uh, there was some, like, um, the hurricane and the tsunami, and it just, it's really devastating. It can really bring about such horrible consequences and the, and the results, right? But the thing is, all that that we see in the natural disaster, it's got nothing on the flood, 
that God sent. Because all those things, as massive as it was, it was pretty regional. It was very limited in its scope of destruction. But what we are talking about is pretty widespread flood that God brought uh, brought upon the earth because of the wickedness of men. That God would not say, well, I'm just going to, you know, just cut some slack here. I'm just going to kind of turn a blind eye. I'm just going to go easy on them. That's not what God did. When God saw that there was wickedness, and it just, instead of kind of getting less and less, as it increased with the, the expansion of mankind and this violence, wickedness was spreading all over. And so God got to a point where he had to judge the world. right? But in the midst of God's judgment, we also see a story of grace. We didn't read it, but in verse 8, it said, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, the story of Noah's salvation from the flood illustrates God's redemption of his people. In Hebrews 11.7, says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It's talking about Noah's faith in God that led to obedience. And this faith that Noah demonstrated in God was credited to him as righteousness. That's how he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In a world saturated with unrighteousness and wickedness, Noah trusts God and believes in his word. When not a single soul on earth cared or walked with God, we see that Noah did. Have you guys ever felt all alone, all alone, like at work or at school, because you are surrounded by a bunch of non-Christians? You ever felt kind of alone, lonely, because no one else really shares your conviction, your belief? The thing is, at least... You can go to your uh, fellowship. You can come to church to find comfort and encouragement, right? At least throughout the day, throughout the week, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, at least you may be, oh my gosh, you know, I feel so lonely. But then come Sunday, we come to church. There is a community. There is a support system here. And when we sit together, when we sing praises together, when we read the word of God together, you you look around right now, you know that you are not all alone. That you are not the only one who is walking with God or believing in God. We have people. We have brothers and sisters. We have the body of Christ with us. But can you imagine Noah? For all his life, he has not seen a single soul that feared God. No one ever cared for God or talked about God ever in his presence. He was all alone. And yet... Instead of caving into the peer pressure, or maybe he was thinking, maybe, maybe I'm just not believing in the right God. If God is the God who created this whole universe, God of this, you know, 
God Almighty, how can no one else really believe in God? Maybe I'm not believing in the, the right kind of God. It was like that he never wavered because he knew God and he walked with him. And when God said, hey, there's going to be a flood, you better build an ark. I mean, can you imagine the ridicule that he must have gone through to build that? His neighbors, people who, who knew him, say, hey, Noah, what, what are you doing? What are you, what are you building? What are you doing? What? There's going to be a flood? You're crazy. Your God told you that? What kind of God is that? They would have made fun of him for years. It just didn't take, you know, take him like a couple months to build this massive ark. And yet out of reverent fear, because of his trust in God and no one else, that he built the ark. Noah had nobody but God. And yet he walked with him. Even if there was no one else to lean on. When there was nothing for him. that uh, That's unwavering faith. And the true faith leads to obedience. You know, what if like Noah said, God, okay, you, you say that there's going to be a flood. I totally believe you. Okay, I, I believe, I, I have faith in that. But did not build the ark. Would, would he have been saved? Of course not. True faith is not this intellectual assent. True faith is not this, the, the, the mental exercise. Right? And that's what many so-called Christians fail to understand. True faith accompanies action. Obedience. Right? Intellectual or cognitive assent it's not genuine faith. And yet, many people believe, oh yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, so I'm, I'm a Christian, I have faith. No, it's not. It's more than that. It's no different from believing that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Just because you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States does not mean that it's a true faith, right? It's, just a, it's an intellectual assent. Merely believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but not doing His will, also is not true faith. You know, even the demons, did you guys know that they had faith? Even demons believed that Jesus was the Son of God, right? When people, when the demon-possessed person encountered Jesus, they said, I know who you are, you are the Son of God. Demons, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but did that kind of faith save them? Absolutely not. And there are some people in the church who think, oh, I've been to church all my life, and yeah, like, you know, I just hear the messages coming out of my ears saying that Jesus is the Lord. So I believe that just because you have the intellectual assent does not mean that you are truly saved. Right? James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Doesn't matter what you may say with your lips, doesn't matter how much like you may intellectually agree that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but if there is no change, transformation, if there is no action, there is no obedience whatsoever, then we really have to question the veracity or how genuine your faith is. If we truly believe God, then we would obey and follow Him. 
though we may stumble along the way. Noah, when God told him that there's going to be a flood and build an ark, he said, oh, you know, okay, I believe that. I totally believe that you would do that. But the true faith prompted him to take action. And that's what's still called for in our lives. Trusting God and his word accompanied by obedience. And by his genuine faith, God declared Noah righteous. Second Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He warned his contemporaries of coming judgment and testified to the vitality of his own faith. And that's what Noah did. The question is, will you trust in God through Christ Jesus no matter what? When no one else in your class, no one else in your at your work is following and doing things that are unbiblical, even though there is no one else follows him, will you trust? Will you follow? Will you obey? That's faith. You know what we often overlook is that God extends his loving concern, loving concern to the whole family of righteous Noah. And it's a consistent pattern in God's dealings with his people. And that really implies the, the moral and spiritual responsibility of the parents to their children. Well, that's a whole new topic that's beyond the scope of this message. But the, 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 the point that we really need to really understand here is that God, for, for God to really establish the new, there has to be a death to the old. The old has to die away. The old has to pass away before the new can be established in our hearts. So the question is, do you really have Christ, the genuine faith in your life? Not just an intellectual assent. Oh yeah, I believe in God because that's what I've been told. But more than that, to really living out your faith in your daily lives. And the second point is this, the foreshadowing of Christ. You know, if you just stop and think about this, the ark, Noah's ark, is an illuminating picture of our salvation in Christ. The ark was planned by God, not by, it was not invented by human beings. It wasn't Noah's ark, Noah's idea to build this ark. It was God's plan from the very beginning. And God invited, we didn't get to read it in verse, uh, chapter 7 verse 1, uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before, uh, before, before me in this generation. So God invited Noah and his family into the ark. Then, once they were in, God shut them in so they would be secure. Once we are just like that, once we are in Christ, there is no one who can snatch us or who can separate us from the hand of God, from the love of God. That's another picture of the gospel that we see in Noah's ark. The ark saved Noah and his family from judgment because they believed God's promise, as we have seen in Hebrews chapter 11, 7. 
Christ saves us from the wrath to come as we believe in Him. So this, the, the Noah's Ark, the story of Noah's Ark, is just more than just a flood and then just whole earth fill, being filled with water. It's an illusion. It's a it's a foreshadowing of Christ and the gospel. Noah, in this sense, was a type of Christ, and it points that he points us to Christ. Noah was blameless man, but he was not sinless. He was not a perfect man. As a descendant of Adam and Eve, he inherited the, uh, the, the sinful nature. So he only magnifies Christ because he was an imperfect representation of Christ, just as Abel was. As I said before, Abel points to Christ. That though he only he sacrificed his firstborn, the greater uh, Abel, Christ, gave himself, his life, not just the firstborn. He in his righteousness only convicted his brother Cain. But the righteousness of Christ convicts the whole world. Right? Just like they hear Noah prefigures Christ. Just as the life of Abraham, the life of Joseph, the life of David, and all these biblical figures, they prefigure and they uh, foreshadow Christ. Because Christ is greater than all. Noah was given salvation through the flood. And Christ went through the flood of suffering to save us. In the first Peter chapter three, verse twenty and twenty-one says this. I'm not just making this up, you know. It says, Because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells us that the ark typifies, right? It prefigures baptism. It connects the ark with the resurrection of Christ. The baptism, what do we do? You get baptized and you get washed away from your sin. Just like that here, Peter saw, inspired by the Holy Spirit, sees the connection between the Noah's flood and baptism. The waters buried the old world, but raised Noah to new, to, to new life, to new, very new, uh, another beginning. Genesis chapter one describes the original beginning, whereas this passage, passage describes a new beginning after the flood. You see, this story of Noah, Noah's Ark, it's not just a bedtime story that we should tell to our kids and remain there. It really prefigures, it talks and points us to Christ. God graciously promises never again to deal with sin by sending such a devastating deluge. God's dealing with sin enters a new phase after this. Because until now, God sees Wickedness and corruption, violence on earth, and says, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna judge it right away. So he sends the flood. But after the flood, he makes a gracious promise 
that he will never again destroy the world in this fashion. And how does he deal with it? He deals with sin in a redemptive, in a new way, and it begins to unfold with the call of Abraham. No longer would God judge and destroy this world through the through uh, through flood because it was so horrific. And now God deals with our sin in a brand new way. And that is once again through the blood of Jesus Christ that God would send his son Jesus to us and he would take our place and be sacrificed and his righteous wrath on sin in our lives is being poured forth, poured out on his own son that he eternally loved. And when we put our trust and faith in the work, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then God says, you know what? The righteousness has been fulfilled. I declare you, whoever puts his or her faith in Christ as the Lord and Savior, I'm going to declare you righteous. And there is redemption. That is the story of grace. That is the story of the gospel that we see from, uh, from, from this time on. So it is my prayer and plea with you as you read the scriptures. See through the eyes in a way that would see, is there a redemption in this story? Is there a grace? Because that's what we see from Genesis, for me, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation. All what I see, the common thread, common theme, is that God the faithful God will rescue the faithless, rebellious, unworthy, undeserving sinners like us time after time after time. And he invites the people to come to him, trust him, put our faith in him through the, the person and the work of Christ. And that is the essence of of the gospel that we have to understand. Once again, the gospel is not about the New Testament story. It doesn't remain in the domain of the New Testament. Starting from Genesis, we see the story of the gospel throughout. And that is the message that God wants us to understand. So the Noah's Ark, yeah, it's good to know the flood, that all the animals that kind of went into it, you know, by pairs, and it's great. It's great to know all these details, but more than that, God wants us to know through Noah's Ark that God cares and God brings redemption. So all these stories is building the case, building it up, building it up. And people are wondering, all these great people in the Old Testament that we look up to, David, Joseph, Abraham, all these people, but they're imperfect, sinful people. So it just points us and yearns us for something more something that is so much better, something that is perfect. And when the time was right, God sends his son Jesus to say, this is my son. Listen to him. Follow, follow him. Walk with him. Trust in him so that we can find redemption, so that we can find grace, so that we can find forgiveness, so that we can find salvation, so that we can have reconciliation with God and live with him, love him, follow him with our hearts. 
that it's a story that the Bible is not about God, this tyrant God making you, making us feel miserable with all these demands and commandments. But rather, it is a story of redemption and grace. That out of our own will, out of our own volition and rebellious heart, we turn away from God. God created us. And yet we say, forget you, God. I'm going to be my own God. I don't need a God like that. We run away from him. But God keeps trying to bring us back through his uh, prophets, through his servants. But we keep rejecting the message of God. And finally, God sends his son. And yet, through his sacrifice, through his love, through his redemption, we find this new life. There is death to our old self. And now there is new self that is being built up in us for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the story of the gospel. That is the story of the Bible that we are to understand and live by. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Uh, just take a moment uh, to come before him and um, think about the story of the Bible. Noah's Ark. It's not just an isolated, fascinating story, bedtime story that we come to understand. It's so much more. What God wants us to understand is there is a greater significance to this story. The old world, full of sin, unrighteousness, had to die. It had to be destroyed so that God can raise a new life. And Noah who trusted in the promise of God, he became the new hope for the human race because he trusted in God when no one else did. When everybody was making fun of him, he still walked with God because he knew him, he loved him, and he obeyed him. Just like that in our lives, there has to be a death to self to our sinful ways. There has to be a new life that that only comes when we die to ourselves and turn to Christ. And do you have the Christ in you? Do you truly believe the gospel? Not just intellectually. It's not a mental exercise. But your life being transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that in you? Do you truly believe?